the healthcare situation unfortunately continues to worsen as we've seen the security environment remaining you know very volatile with the significant impact on the restriction of movement um, and this is particularly significant uh, across the greater Khartoum region. We've also seen a reporting by the WHO that around 16 hospitals across Sudan um, are currently thought to be non-functional due to attacks, and this includes nine in Khartoum. Now, in terms of impacts, uh, many of these hospitals are actually the main teaching and specialist providers, and therefore this puts uh, a, a significant healthcare burden uh, on the population that's exposed. But in addition to these uh, 16 hospitals that are non-operational, there's also reports of a further 16 hospitals in Khartoum and other states um, that are close to being non-functional. And this is due to several factors, which include security concerns, staff fatigue, critical shortages of medical supplies, as well as disruption of essential services, including uh, electricity and water supply. What we have been able to uh, establish through our network uh, of providers and correspondents uh, in country is that those hospitals that remain functional in Khartoum, uh, many of them report significant restrictions of the services they are able to offer. And this is due to the constraints uh, I've already mentioned. And therefore, resupply and replenishment of both medical stock and essential services along with the provision of safe corridors to allow for rotational healthcare workers to commute from their homes to their workplace will all be critical uh, to ease this burgeoning healthcare crisis. So Ryan, you were saying there that you've, we've been in touch with local providers to, to verify some of this information. There is a real challenge, is there not, in, in, in simply getting basic supplies, uh, be that medical equipment, uh, blood, if necessary, uh, and also food, water to to those who are trapped in country. And I'm particularly mindful of our, our clients in this situation. Perhaps you could just outline for us the challenges on the ground in, in that regard. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. So the challenge or challenges that we're facing um, are multifactorial. So as the security situation has now been prolonged, stock has not been able to be replenished. And this is across all the things that you've mentioned. So medical consumables, medications, blood products, but importantly, just day-to-day -day provisions, you know, safe drinking water and food. And therefore, as uh, mainstream shops have not been open for the majority of this period, especially in Khartoum, stock replenishment has become a major issue uh, for many of our clients and for the generic population. We've also heard reports of looting taking place um, in response to uh, limitation of access to these uh, essentials. So the challenge is, is, is exceptionally difficult, both for those on the ground, but also through our network of providers. And then linked in with this is even if stock is able to be procured, um, depending on where the individual or the individuals who need access to provisions are, it may not be safe for our providers to actually be able to do drops of stock replenishment. But above and beyond this, there's also the reality of a significant humanitarian exposure. Um, we know Sudan hosts 1.1 million refugees, which is one of the largest refugee populations in Africa. And aid agencies are therefore critical in support of this population, along with the significant number of internally displaced people we see across the Darfur region. 
And unfortunately, we've already seen the World Food Programme reporting deaths of three of their staff members early on in the conflict, and therefore their operations have been halted. Um, and all of this is just lending itself to a worsening uh, humanitarian crisis. And I imagine the humanitarian crisis will show no sign of abating in the days to come, given the inability for the international community to to get into Sudan in any meaningful way and uh, and no let up in the fighting. What can you tell us in, in that regard in terms of the potential for the health infrastructure to collapse further and the implications of that? And I'm particularly mindful in regards to hygiene, waste management and, and other issues that might evolve as a as a consequence of that. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, Mark. And these are the exact concerns that I think you know the, the world has at this stage. So if we look at it from a short-term perspective, there's already a direct impact on those requiring urgent care, whether that be an acute medical incident or traumatic injuries as a result of the conflict. But it is also importantly impacting specific population groups, um, such as pregnant females nearing the end of their pregnancy. And we've already heard about cases of pregnant ladies struggling to find operational hospitals with obstetric and midwifery services. But also from a short-term point of view, we've got you know, many of our clients with uh, short-term travelers that uh, were meant to have already left the country. And some of these may have chronic diseases and they therefore might be running out of chronic medications. And then, as we've already mentioned, there's the very real impact that we're already seeing with regards to limitations of consumables and medications and just the lack of blood products, analgesics, antibiotics and anesthetic agents. And importantly, let's not forget that you know, if somebody is an extremist, um, right now there's a complete inability to uh, evacuate somebody internationally because of the closure of the airspace. And then as we're moving to more the more medium term outlook, we, t- we will definitely see healthcare services collapse unless there is an ability to be able to resupply and ease the restriction of movement. And linked in with this uh, will need to be the lifting of the airspace restrictions to allow for an airlift of aid and medical supplies. And importantly to one of the points you raised earlier is the population at large needs access to delivery of fuel, safe drinking water, and also resolution of issues with disruption of essential sanitation services. Because as we know in these kind of situations of prolonged civil unrest, when we do have disruption of safe drinking water and disruption of sanitation services, along with overcrowding of people in safe refuge, what we see is a significant risk of uh, communicable disease outbreaks linked to food and waterborne illnesses. Um, and these are all some of the areas that uh, we obviously have concern should this situation continue to play out. And Ryan, have we seen much evidence of those communicable diseases emerging as yet, or is it too early to say at this stage? I think it's a combination that it is possibly a little bit too early at this stage, but it's also a reality of we're not going to expect for um, accurate diagnoses to take place because laboratory services are no longer functional and populations just simply can't get to healthcare providers. So even if we are starting to see outbreaks, the reporting thereof is going to be significantly slower than what we would expect. And this also exacerbates this kind of situation. Turning then to to some advice and recommendations for our clients and those who are either trapped within Sudan at the moment or who have people who are there and are anxious about them at, at present. 
I understand that this that the Sudan Ministry of Health has a telecommunication service that they are offering to uh, provide remote access medical advice from doctors. That is just one remote access system, but I imagine it's it's quite challenging for people to get through to it, and there must be other issues in terms of getting advice and, and recommendations through to people who are indeed trapped within the country at the moment. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Mark. And the Sudanese Ministry of Health did put in place a, a teleconsultation provision um, fairly early on in response to the crisis. But the reality of that is teleconsultation always has its limitations, given the fact that the doctor can't often examine a patient. But also importantly, if care can't be delivered to the patient by way of essential medications, uh, et cetera, that obviously significantly impacts that methodology of health assessment. The other issue that we've certainly heard reports on is because of the disruption of telephone services and mobile networks, and the reliability of being able to you know, contact uh, individuals has um, obviously proven to be a challenge. So in terms of advice of uh, clients that have you know, people still trapped in Sudan, it's very much uh, really to ensure the sustainability of them being able to stand fast, because that is currently you know, the recommendation given the volatility of the security situation. Now that standfast, you know, resilience is inextricably linked to provision access. So this is both from, you know, day-to-day -day provisions, including safe drinking waters and, and access to food. But importantly, if uh, clients haven't done so already, companies should be very quickly assessing of those individuals that are stuck in country, are there any known healthcare problems? And are those individuals reliance on taking daily chronic medications? And if so, what are those medications and what are those underlying health risks? That is important because, you know, we, we expect hopefully with international mediation that there will be some kind of safe uh, aid corridor whereby there could potentially be an opportunity for movement of people across borders or certainly into safer havens. And the prioritization of who should go in the first wave should be linked to this risk assessment of those that are going to have an expected healthcare need based on an underlying uh, health problem. And linked to that would be the most vulnerable. So the young, the old, the pregnant, uh, like we've already mentioned. And then above and beyond this, as the situation plays out uh, for, for a longer period than, than I think many people expected, um, the ability to, for clients and uh, companies to offer emotional and psychological support not only for those caught in country, which can be quite challenging given the telephony issues that I've mentioned already, but also for family members or colleagues or managers of those that are supporting those individuals that are actually stuck in country. So finally, Ryan, just to pick up on that, I imagine then we're working with our local providers as best we can to identify some of those most vulnerable uh, clients in those categories that you've mentioned and outlined just now, so that when that humanitarian corridor does indeed open up and the hostilities were to cease in order to evacuate people in the way that you've described, we would be in a position to facilitate that. Yeah, exactly. So we've been quite targeted in terms of our discussions and requests with our providers and correspondents on the ground is to try and elicit exactly in which locations we can offer these essential services, so urgent care access, 
medication procurement and delivery, and then importantly, the, the pregnancy-related obstetric and midwifery support, as well as pediatric care, because that is where we've seen a demand and a need. We already have a capability to put in place emotional supports, you know, remotely with multiple language capability, but also to set up emergency response lines for companies that may have significant exposure and wish to offer their employees the ability to call in. And then outside of that is also validating from an air ambulance evacuation perspective, which airports we could potentially get into because we understand there have been reports um, of obviously uh, of airplanes being destroyed on runways and trying to assess not only the safety of the runway, but also the availability of jet fuel um, for refueling should that be necessary. So the evacuation assessment of ambulance providers that can actually deploy um, is also taking place at this time whilst we wait for that potential window. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks very much for your time. Okay. Thanks, Mark.